Hey, welcome to Big Valley Grace. Welcome everybody over in the venue. And you know, one of the things that we've been praying about is somehow as we meet here last week, this week, next week, Lord willing, is that somehow God would reignite something within all of our souls. And I'm thankful for all of these uh, people that we support that are in some very, very difficult places. Todd Honeycutt, who's gonna come and speak, he works in Sylvania. There are more people in this room right now, Christians in this room, than there are in the whole country of Sylvania. Let that just sink in for a moment. More believers in this room right here than there are in the whole country that he serves in. And I'm thankful that he's there doing his best to tell people about this great God that we serve. He's an incredible man, he's a great friend, and I know he's gonna use this moment, he's gonna use this message in a great way. I know God's gonna use it. So welcome up my friend, uh, Todd Honeycutt. We do that. Thank you so much. It's a great opportunity to be able to speak to you today, and it's a wonderful thing to be a missionary that is supported by Big Valley Grace. I mean, as you look at that map, it's pretty cool because you think about diverse cultures, you know, South Africa, Kenya, Germany and Slovenia, India, China, Indonesia, Papua New Guinea. This is just crazy. The, the diverse cultures, language groups, all of the different places that you are making an impact through. So thank you for your regular giving here at Big Valley. You might say, oh, well, how, how'd you get on the mission field? Well, that was a long story. I was an awkward kid growing up at Heart Ransom. I was always the last one picked for every sport. Wasn't too uh, proud of my faith at that point. Went on to Modesto High again, kind of snuck off to Bible study when, uh, when that happened during the lunch hour. Went off to JC, and then as I was transferring to Stan State, I got cancer. And I went through a year of chemotherapy and radiation, uh, almost was paralyzed, almost died. And the Lord used that year to really change my values, show me the brevity of life, and that began a path that went on until I was 33 when I eventually moved to Slovenia. That was 15 years ago, uh, next May. And uh, it's so great to serve in, uh, in a country like that, knowing that there's folks back here that are praying for you. Now, Slovenia is, I won't put any pictures up because you'll think, ah, oh, well, that looks like a tourist spot. It's a lovely, safe, clean place in the Alps there, uh, nestled between Austria, Italy, Croatia, and Hungary. Lovely place uh, to live, very difficult place to work, one of the least reached nations in the world. And on top of all of that, the situation of the church, we just had 60,000 refugees from Syria come into Slovenia in the last 12 days. And you might ask, well, what are you gonna do about that? I don't know. I've been here for the last seven days, going back tomorrow morning. Uh, it's a big question mark, but you can uh, pray for us, pray for the, the churches in Europe, that we would be uh, not just, ooh, you know, the, these people are coming, but rather, uh, how can we reach them with the good news of Christ? Global reach, make his name famous. Well, someone might ask, well, we just sang a song, you are the Lord, the famous one, isn't he famous already? Well, in order for someone to become famous, people have to tell people. No matter how great our God is, he always works through us. So today, I want us to refocus. We're gonna zoom out. We're gonna get the big picture, and then I hope that you'll see yourself within that big picture, within that mission. Now, we're gonna move really fast through Scripture. There's gonna be some verses on the screen. You've got your program there where there's some verses printed. There's a little fill-in-the-blanks if you'd like the main points there. Um, so let's follow along, and then you can, of course, throughout the week, turn to the daily meditations and just go, wow, that was, uh, that was quite a sermon. Uh, what do I do about that? Well, that's a help in that sense. Now, uh, the main truths from Scripture we've put on the board. Uh, the tech guys here helped me. We got a screen kind of like Family Feud, so that's kind of fun. And uh, any time that one of the windows turns over, what does the audience do in Family Feud? Well, they read it, right? You know, the number six, blah, 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 blah. So let's try it. Uh, the number six reason that we should make him famous, Bible survey says, number six, it's our job. Hey, you guys make a great studio audience. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. 
It's our job, it's our task, it's our commission. The Great Commission, right? Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. This is not one among many gods that's begging for your attention. This is not just some deity. This is the God of the universe, the Lord of all creation saying, I'm sending you. Therefore, we are his ambassadors. And then it says, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, in the original, the, the, the imperative, the command is not go. The command is actually make disciples. Make disciples as you are going, as you are living your life, as you're going to your job, your school, the place where you exercise, the places where you shop, the place where you do your hobby. As you are going, Make disciples, help raise up mature followers of Jesus Christ, lead them to Christ, and then help them to grow. And then there's that phrase, of all nations. Hmm, well, you had me till that point, because I live here in Modesto, and uh, well, even in Modesto, it needs to be on our front burner, because the goal, the commission is global. It's universal, it's total. And when we're talking about nations, we're not talking about political entities. If we were to put up the map of the world when Christ was around, was Italy on there? Was France on there? Was America on there? The map looked completely different. So it can't be about political entities. The word in Greek is ethne, ethnic groups. Then he gives us two examples of ways that uh, people can become disciples of Christ. One of them is through baptism. Now you've been to baptismal services, and oh, baptismal services are always very encouraging, right? You're gonna hear testimonies of life change. It's wonderful. You know. Now that I've lived overseas, I can also see a weight behind baptism that maybe I didn't see here because of things like we saw in that video. In Albania, when we lived there six months, uh, there were 50 people from the village of Poyam that were uh, to be baptized. And wow, that was a great day there on Lake Ohrid, and all of these 50 people went into the lake, and it was a day of rejoicing. And that week, terrible persecution. That week, terrible spiritual warfare, and many people walked away from their faith that were baptized the Sunday before. It's a heavy-duty thing. In a country like Slovenia, yeah, 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 you're going to that evangelical church, yeah, yeah, whatever, that's kind of fine. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 you say you prayed to receive Christ. I have no idea what that means. You're getting baptized? That's a serious thing in a country like Slovenia. And that's when kids start getting kicked out of their homes. That's when grandparents uh, don't talk to you anymore. That's when kids start being, um, well, no, not a part of the family anymore. Baptism is identification with Jesus Christ and can be a weighty thing in many, many cultures. Then it says, teaching these new disciples all the commands that I have given you. And you might say, amen, they need the whole counsel of God, they need the whole scripture, except actually I left out two words, teaching them to obey. Did you ever notice that in the Great Commission? It's not just a thing about teaching, it's not just learning, it's about teaching to obey. It's about truth that transforms. It's about learning so that I can become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So, you know what? You could come to every worship service here and never do that. You could go to Bible studies and never do that. Everything that you learn, everything that you hear, every time that you crack open your Bible in the morning should be, well, what do I do with that? How do I obey all the commands that Christ gave us? And then the good news is, he ends the Great Commission with, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. How did he start it? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The Lord of the universe is sending you out as his ambassador. And you know what? He goes with you. And if those two things are true, the middle part's pretty easy, isn't it? Well, it may not be easy, but at least we have his truth and we have his presence with us, that he is with us. It's a little less formidable. So therefore, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter where your paycheck comes from. Well, I'm not a missionary, I'm not paid by a mission agency, I'm not a pastor, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter where your paycheck comes from, it doesn't matter what your health is, doesn't matter what your finances are, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. This is our main task, this is our great commission. And this was given to us as the final words of Jesus Christ before he ascended into heaven. Well, let's look at it. This great commission appears in various forms in every gospel and in the book of Acts. We just saw Matthew, Mark 16. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Luke 24, I'll jump down to 47. It's also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. John 20, 21. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. 
in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Now, in Matthew, right, make disciples of all ethnic groups. Here he's gonna go geographic. In Jerusalem, Modesto, the environs, Riverbank, Turlock, throughout Judea, Stanislaus County, San Joaquin County, this part of California, in Samaria, related cultures, nearby cultures, and to the ends of the earth. About 2,000 years later, still hasn't happened yet. Still hasn't happened. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China in the 1800s. He said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered, it's a command to be obeyed. Great Commission, that sounds like an interesting idea. No, it's a command to be obeyed from the hand of our Lord. And what did Pastor Ayanto say to us in the video? Please don't forget that our main job is to save the lost, and that is your duty and my duty. Everybody should share the gospel. Humble little church planter riding around on a scooter through rice fields of Indonesia has the same job description as you do? That's exactly right. Different jobs, one goal. You know, in World War II, America was focused on winning the war, was it not? So whether it was Rosie the Riveter working to make armaments, whether it was Grandma saying, I'm in this fight too by turning down her eating oil so there'd be more oil for the boys on the front, whether it was a little kid going around collecting scrap metal, whether it was a family who bought war bonds, or whether it was the soldier who landed on the beaches of Normandy. It was one goal, different tasks. Everyone was focused. Everyone was working together to defeat the enemy. A grand spectrum of involvement, some locally, some globally, all aiming to that one end. And you might say, well, if this is all one big task, I look at some of the ministries of the church and it seems more like they're a medical unit, more like a mass unit than a fighting unit, and that's okay because we need healing from the past. We need to recover from the pains that we have had. But ultimately, a basic biblical principle is we are blessed to be a blessing. We wanna get God's people out, making him famous. And the great thing is, is that you can make him famous, you can bless others, you can tell people about Christ in your weakness, in your brokenness. In fact, you know what? That's actually the best way. It's our job. And also, as we'll see in number five, Bible survey says, it's God's purpose. You guys are great, you guys are great. It's God's purpose. Now someone might question, okay, now wait, wait, wait. I see that in the New Testament. We just went through five different examples of the Great Commission, but where's that in the Old Testament? Well, let me tell you. God created the world. He created mankind. Adam and Eve fell in the garden. Sin started spreading all over the world, and eventually God had to judge the earth with the, with the flood of Noah. Basically, all of mankind was wiped out except for one family. And then mankind began to multiply again, and what is the next story in your Bible after Noah. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is part of the story of God's mission. Because it wasn't merely that different language groups were created, it was God's strategy. God was dividing mankind up into, into different groups, different language groups, ultimately different people groups, so that he could win them back to himself. And how would he win them back one by one? Well, through a man, through a family, through a people. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. I will bless you. You are to be a blessing. So the point of Israel was not to be exclusive. I'm gonna choose one people group and leave everybody else out. No, I'm gonna choose one people group to win the others, to be a witness, to be, a ble to be blessed, to be a blessing. In Deuteronomy chapter four, there's a very missional perspective that says the Israelites were to follow God's law, why? So the nations would be amazed by the God of Israel. Joshua two, what's the missional purpose of the parting of the Red Sea and of the Jordan? Joshua two twenty four. he did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful. Why did David kill Goliath? Good old Sunday school story. What does David say in a missional sense? And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Second Chronicles 6, what's the missional reason that the temple was built? 
that foreigners would come from distant lands and pray toward the temple. Oh, look at this great passage in 1 Chronicles 16. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Oh, nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Is that not a statement of the Great Commission? Now, the Psalms are full of this global goal. Isaiah is full of it and the prophets. Here's just a few highlights. Psalm 9, tell the world about his unforgettable deeds. Psalm 86, this is the passage Pastor Rick preached out of last Sunday. No pagan god is like you, O Lord. None can do what you do. Among the gods, among all the religions of the world, there is no one like our God. Verse 9, and all the nations you made will come and bow before you, Lord. They will praise your holy name. So God's rule is universal. It's all the nations. It's all of the ethnic groups. They will come, and they will bring him glory. Isaiah 31, come here and listen, O nations of the earth. Isaiah 49 is speaking about the Messiah. You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Similarly in Daniel, Daniel in chapter seven, he sees someone like a son of man and jumping down there, he was given authority, honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. The Great Commission. Probably the greatest missional book in the Old Testament is the story of Jonah. Nineveh was a violent, bloodthirsty nation. They did horrible, horrific things to their victims, but God loved them, and he offered them forgiveness. Now, Jonah was not happy at all about that. You remember that story? The reluctant missionary, but it was a story really of God's goodness and God's grace to a people that absolutely did not deserve it. In the Old Testament, it was an attractional mission model. Come to Jerusalem, worship the one true God with us in the one place on earth where he dwells. We are, a, we are blessed by God, and we are to be a blessing to the rest of the world. But in the New Testament, it became a shift to a model of going, of being sent out. Barnabas and Saul. Saul and, sorry, Paul and Silas, Barnabas and John Mark, different ones going out to reach the unreached, to share the gospel where it was unknown at that time. John Criswell with InterVarsity writes this. God's main intention in human history is to reunite himself with a world that is estranged by sin. And all that he's doing in space and time is an effort to further that desire. From the first verses of Genesis to the last verses of Revelation, his intention is articulated and illustrated. The wonder of it all is that he wants to accomplish this mission through the faithfulness of people like you and me. Scientist Stephen Hawking all of his life has been looking for this grand unifying theory of the sciences. This is the grand unifying mission of all of reality, of all of space and time. Now speaking of history, what, so what's been going on in missions? How, how did missions get going? I mean, they had that uh, great commission back in the first century and there was the spread of the church, but for many centuries the church didn't do a whole lot about reaching the lost. It was 1787. And a minister in England, William Carey, he's the, the balding guy there up on the top, he stands up in a, in a meeting of pastors there and says, is it not the duty of all Christians to spread the gospel throughout the world? He had read this book and his heart was touched. Well, you know what the answer was? Young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your aid or mine. But thankfully, he didn't listen. And he became probably the first Protestant missionary of the modern era. And he went to India. He went to that huge subcontinent where so many Big Valley partners work today. William Carey said, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. He laid it all on the line. A few generations later, 1853, Hudson Taylor moved to China, hearing the call of the Lord, but instead of focusing on the coast where there were already, praise the Lord, many missionaries, he went inland. And he started dressing like the locals and cut his hair like the locals. And he led a whole new wave of missionaries that went to the hard-to-reach places of the world at that time. And then a century later, in 1972, a missiologist named Ralph Winter challenged the church not to think of the nations as political entities, but as people groups. And thus began a new era where we've been trying to, as the missions folk, trying to identify all of the people groups of the world and make disciples within each of those ethnic groups. 
And if you've never heard of William Carey or Hudson Taylor or Jim and Elizabeth Elliot or Adoniram Judson or um, Amy Carmichael, you can walk right over to the Branch Library today and they've got lots of stories of missionaries over there. You could read those to your kids or your grandkids. It's God's purpose throughout all of scripture, throughout all of history. It's his goal, it's his mission. Here's how C.S. Lewis described it in Mere Christianity. Enemy occupied territory, that's what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. And when you go to church, you're really listening into the secret wireless from our friends, and that's why the enemy is so anxious to prevent us from going. You see, God's army is in a global war, and this is more life and death than the landing at D-Day in Normandy. This is more life and death than the battle against ISIS today. This is the mission of the master, and it always has been. Larry Crabb wrote, I must surrender my fascination with myself to a more worthy preoccupation with the character and the purposes of God. I am not the point. He is. I exist for him. He does not exist for me. So it's our job, because it is God's purpose, and Bible survey says... It's good news for everyone, for everyone, for every neighbor, for every culture, all throughout time, all around the world. And you've already seen that, I hope, in many of the verses that we've read. So this is not a moral code. This is not a religion. This is not one of many truths. This is not like a horoscope. This isn't rituals we do to earn God's favor. We don't have to appease the gods. We don't have to appease spirits. It's not a list of do's and a list of don'ts. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the solution. He is the salvation. He is the desire of nations. What is the gospel? My mom passed away in August. Before she did, she taught Bible clubs after school in the Salida schools under Child Evangelism Fellowship for decades. She began every single club exactly the same way. Good news, good news, Christ died for me. They'd sing this song, and at the end of it, she'd say, and what's the good news? The kids would say, the gospel. What's the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said, just as we remembered a few moments ago in communion. The gospel is rooted in history. The death of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago is the center of history. It deals with the ultimate problem, which is the problem of sin in the human heart. How does it do that? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Salvation by grace through faith. C.S. Lewis was in a conference of comparative religions. There was a debate going on. Well, what is the unique aspect of Christianity compared to all of the world religions? Well, is it, you know, God came down to earth or something? Well, there's different forms of that in other faiths. Lewis walked by and they said, excuse us, Dr. Lewis, what would you say is the unique contribution of Christianity amongst all of the religions of the world? Oh, that's easy. It's grace. Do I have to earn God's favor? Do I have to do something to gain salvation? As basically every other religion says, whatever God is, whatever salvation is, whatever the problem is, it's basically here's what you gotta do. Or is it a free gift? Is it works or is it grace? Well, if it's grace, then that's good news. And what does that final verse in Ephesians 2 say? He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. One mission, several different tasks. Created anew to make an impact. Romans 1, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, you know what? We could add John 3.16. We could add a whole slew of other verses that you probably already know about what it means to be saved, what it means to place your faith in Christ. This gospel is for every culture, every person throughout all of the world and throughout all of time. It's the ultimate and lasting solution to the problems of the world, the salvation of the people of the world, 
the salvation of the peoples of the world. You know, this good news is for everyone, but we just need to stop and say, it's for you too. And have you accepted that free gift? Do you even understand what we're talking about here? This is the good news. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you aren't sure about what that means, why don't you come back to the altar after the service? Would love to talk with someone about that. Good news for everyone, but number three says, Bible survey says, but not everyone knows. It's good news for everyone, but not everyone knows. Now, the church has been growing and there are amazing things happening, but as Carl F.H. Henry said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. So many do not have access to this news. Well, let's go into our mission briefing room momentarily, and we'll look at some different uh, charts and graphs and maps that'll tell us about the state of the church today. The red area, unreached, 40.3%. Established church, largely reached, 42.7%. Informative, nominal, where the church is kind of weak, but it's there, 17%. The church is growing. You know, the church in Africa, southern part of Africa, has grown from 3% in 1900 to 63% today. The church in Indonesia, which is, by the way, the largest Muslim country in the world, the country that we just saw in that video, the percentage of Christians is now so high, around 15%, that the government no longer prints statistics on religion. The government of Indonesia is embarrassed by the number of Christians. Now, it's a difficult place, and you saw in the video, there's still darkness. There's still probably hundreds of islands in Indonesia that have never heard the gospel, but praise the Lord. Listen to this one. More people have come to faith in Jesus Christ in the Islamic world since 1990 than all the centuries before. Can you believe that? The Lord Jesus Christ is appearing in visions to Muslims all over the world. Christians have been praying during the month of Ramadan since 1990 especially that God would reveal himself. But you know what? They always need to come in contact with a believer, with a witness. Someone has to make disciples. Around the globe, there's about 500, 510 new churches planted every single day. Maybe 80,000 people place their faith in Jesus Christ every single day. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And yet, by this little pie graph up there, he is not yet universally famous. 40% unreached. These are statistics from the Joshua Project. 40% lack the good news. We'll go onto a map here that'll show us some various uh, colors, you probably can't see much of it, but the red section is the least reached part of the world. The yellow section is the partially reached part of the world, and the green section is, well, where there's an established church. And you might say, hey, North America, Modesto, yay, we're done. Well, let's think about that. If we were to add together all of the seats in all of the churches in Modesto, how many people could we seat? Two, three times. I don't know. 20,000? I don't know. I don't know the statistic. How many people live here? How many people in Modesto know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? How many times have I read something on modb.com, living overseas, that just makes me sick about what's going on in Modesto? Who's gonna reach Modesto if it's not you? And that's in a green part of the globe. On your notes there, it says 9,680 people groups on this planet, 3,950 are unreached. 3,950 people groups. That was that 40% that we saw earlier. 3,950 people groups tens of thousands of people up to millions of people without the gospel witness. Out of six or 7,000 languages, maybe 500 have a whole Bible. 500 languages. 1,300 have a New Testament. Now there's Bible translation going on all over the world, like Carrie's team there in New Guinea, praise the Lord. But there are 1,800 languages that missiologists can identify that no one has yet said, we will translate the Bible into their language. It's like the country of Afghanistan. Afghanistan, tough place, right? Wars just seem to go on there time after time. More than half of the people groups in Afghanistan don't have one verse of the Bible in their language. There's hardly any Christians there. Let's zoom in on that red part on this blue map here. North Africa, Middle East, Southeast Asia. We call this the 1040 window, the 10th parallel to the 40th parallel. This is two-thirds of the world's population. This is where all of the world's major non-Christian religions are, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. This is 99% of those who are poorest and have least access to the gospel. This is a place that we need to focus on, is it not? Just as a point of comparison, though, you see where the yellow arrow there is? There's a dinky little country right underneath Austria called Slovenia. 
and you've already heard it, there's only about 1,100 evangelicals. We're the 14th smallest evangelical population by percentage of any country in the world. 40 small churches. Average-sized church in Slovenia, 30, 40 people. There's a lot of work that needs to be done, even in a tiny little country of two million like Slovenia. So globally, we need Bible translation work, and we need radio to send the gospel, and we need internet ways of getting into these closed access places, but someone has to go. Someone has to tell the good news. Someone has to make disciples. Maybe as the global church, we need to focus a little more on reaching the unreached, because it's our job and it's his purpose. William Borden about a century ago was the heir to a massive fortune, millions and millions of dollars. Maybe you bought some Borden products in your lifetime. Why did he decide to leave all that behind and go to China? Here's what he said. If you see 10 men trying to lift a log and nine of them on the light end and one on the heavy end, where will you step in to help? Not everyone knows, and what are you gonna do about that? Thousands of people groups on their way to a Christless eternity, doomed to hell because of their sin, but lacking access to the gospel, which could save them. You know, I just believe that if we could see how amazing heaven will be, we could also peek in and see how horrible hell is. If we could see what we will be like when glorified with Christ, and if we could see what the future of the lost is, we would do anything. We would give up anything to reach the lost. But for now, well, it takes faith in what the Word of God says. What is the state of the lost? How can you be saved? This really is the point of it all. You know, when the Allies landed at Normandy, they didn't stop. Now, you've seen the movies, you've seen the documentaries. It was a horrible price paid that day on the beaches of Normandy. Thousands of people died in an instant as the guns started mowing them down. Horrible, horrible things. And then there were the, 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 the hedgerows, and then there was the tanks, and it was just a nightmare. But they didn't camp out on the beach in Normandy and say, wow, that was really difficult. Huh, let's take a break. They went, and they went, and they went, because the goal was not Normandy. The goal was Berlin. The goal was complete victory. The goal was to complete the task. You see, in, in reality, in this spiritual battle, we're not like the U.S. was in the 1940s. The battle is somewhere out there. We're sending our troops and we're sending supplies over. In reality, we're not even England in the 1940s, getting bombed by Nazi Germany, suffering. We're actually occupied Europe. This is enemy-occupied territory. We are in the mission field, we are in the battle, and the battle is raging all around us. And yet, in a sense of geography, and in a sense of unreached people groups, the darkest, hardest places to reach are actually far from here. And somebody has to be sent. They could be sent from here, they might be sent from somewhere else. Someone has to tell the good news. Someone has to make disciples. So many don't know. Now that is reality. But are you ready for some good news? Are you ready for some encouraging news after all of that? Oh my goodness, how are we gonna do this? The number two reason that we should make his name famous, you may have already noticed it in some of the verses we've read. Bible survey says, it's going to happen. Do you believe that? Psalm 22, the whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow before him. Habakkuk 2.14, for as the waters fill the sea, which is pretty wet, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. Isaiah 11, as waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Matthew 24, the words of Christ, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all ethnic groups, all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Think about that one. Acts 1.8, we've already read it. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And the ultimate end, Revelation chapter seven. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne. We'll jump down. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb, end of story, end of mission. John 9, 4, Jesus said we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. Night is coming and then no one can work. Someone once said, there is one thing we will not do in heaven. We cannot do in heaven. Share the gospel. You see, this is very unlike World War II. In World War II, it was very tenuous, was it not? When those first waves were landing on Normandy, it was not a sure thing that they would win. 
You think of the battles on Iwo Jima and other Pacific islands, it was desperate. Nobody knew who would win in the end. And it might seem that way. After you look at these statistics, if you talk to some of the missionaries, you say, man, there's a lot of difficulties in reaching these unreached people groups. Or man, there's missionaries out there slugging it out all of their lives, seeing very little fruit for their efforts. Maybe it's even you. You try to share your faith and people kind of reject it and you get discouraged. But in this global battle for the souls of man, we have the end of the story. We know how the war ends. We have Christ's authority and he is with us, so let's go. But in this truth of it's gonna happen, some might say, hey, it's gonna happen, so hey, that's great. Hope someone's gonna take care of that. Or it's, well, it's gonna happen, so let's work together to make this great thing, this ultimate thing, come about. You see, it's our job, and it's our job because it's God's purpose. It's good news for everyone, but not everybody knows. But you can know this, it's 100% sure that it's gonna happen. These are all good biblical reasons to be involved in mission, to make disciples of all nations, to live missionally. But what is the ultimate one? I love the words of British theologian John Stott. Listen to this. If God desires every knee to bow to Jesus and every tongue to confess him, so should we. We should be jealous, as scripture sometimes puts it, for the honor of his name. Troubled when it remains unknown, hurt when it's ignored, indignant when it is blasphemed, and all the time anxious and determined that it, the name of Jesus Christ, shall be given the honor and glory which are due it. The highest of all missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, as important as that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, strong as that incentive is, especially when we contemplate the wrath of God, but rather zeal burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. And before this supreme goal of the Christian mission, all unworthy motives wither and die. Bible survey says, he is worthy. If we wanna glorify God in all that we do, as Pastor Rick so often says, glorifying God is our ultimate motivation for mission. Revelation 5, look, the, lamb of the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. There is nothing greater than his name. There is no one higher. His glory eclipses all World Series records, all business dealings, all accomplishments, all priorities. This is more important and urgent than even preserving our freedoms in battle. It's all about Him. There's nothing greater on earth. It's all about the glory of God. And what is more glorifying to God than someone who places their faith in Him? What is more glorifying to God than a people group with disciples of Jesus Christ in it? You know, if we could step into the throne room, if we could be like Isaiah or John and see God on his throne, just as Dr. Phil Arndt is there today, worshiping God, just as my parents who both passed away this year, they're standing before the throne. If they could come here and be witnesses, they would say, live life with abandon. Do anything, be focused on mission, be ready to pay any price so that the nations could see his glorious face. But for now, that takes faith. And you know what, it's hard to live in a wartime posture. The United States, we did it for what, 1941, 1945, and it was exhausting. In the 1950s and 60s, without that singular focus, went in very different directions. But this battle has been going on since Christ. No, it's been going on since Adam and Eve's fall. No, actually, it's been going on from eternity past. God calling men back to himself. God redeeming people back to himself. So it's been going on a long time and it's gonna keep on going until Christ returns. And when will, as that one verse suggests, when will Christ return? When the gospel has been preached to all nations, when we finish the job. It's all encompassing, it's nothing less. It's Berlin, it's not just Normandy. So whether you choose to live in that wartime stance, well that's up to you. But I think that it's time that we refocus, church. I think it's time that we realign I think that it's time that we live missionally. What did that pastor in Indonesia tell us? Please don't forget that our main job is to save the lost. That's your duty and my duty. Everybody should share the gospel. Now you might say, hey, great sermon, 
Thank you, Mr. Missions up there. That's great. Thanks so much for telling us. But uh, that's a little far from my life. That's a little far from my job. You know what? Yeah, the stuff that we're struggling with is big stuff. What, I don't know. What could I do? Can I give you a few suggestions? Live for eternity. Hebrews 12 one says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let's not be tripped up in our mission by, by sin. Let's set aside idolatry and worry and lust and hatred because the Lord is worthy and because our task is awesome. It is great. And it isn't just sin. It can be anything that hinders that great goal. You know what I'd like? I'd like to ride the Trans-Siberian Railway someday. That always sounded fun to me. You know what I'd like? I'd like to work at Disneyland. A couple months, it just sounds like a blast to work at Disneyland. You know what I want? Every time I see Treehouse Masters, I want them to build me a treehouse that I can live in that's awesome and is wonderful, and I would love that. Ah, oh, seriously, every time I watch that show. What's on your bucket list? Oh, the stuff I want to do before I die. The question is, is, is the stuff on your bucket list shaping your time and your energy and your finances? Are you kind of planning your life around that? Could I suggest that the kingdom citizen bucket list, in addition to caring for family and you know, the normal stuff of life, I think it basically has one item, and we've been looking at that all morning. Make disciples as you are going of all nations. That's the one item. Now, as I'm going and as I'm making disciples of all nations, maybe some of that cool stuff will happen. Who knows? Maybe. But if it doesn't, so what? It's not of ultimate importance. Because the Christian life is more than church attendance, and it's more than giving offerings. It's more than having a quiet time. Listen to me now. These are foundational things. But we are blessed to be a blessing. We are to be on mission. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So, we're going to do a little examination. We did a little research. We're going to take your checkbook and put it up on this screen. And then we're going to take your credit card statement and put it up on this screen. And then we're going to take your schedule, what you got planned for this week, put it up on this screen, and your to-do list. What would those four things, checkbook, credit card statement, schedule, and to-do list, tell us about your priorities, about your mission, and what would you like it to say? Writer Paul Borthwick said, live a lifestyle that reflects our knowledge of the condition of the people in our world. Now the nice thing is, is God gives us a mature choice. This is not World War II. This is not the government saying, okay, ladies cannot wear nylons, you can only get tires every once in a while, gas is rationed because we need it for the battle. The Lord is saying, live for eternity. Keep eternity in mind. So he's not gonna say, it's bad to go to Disneyland. How much is a Disneyland ticket now? Like 100 bucks? It keeps going up in price. However much, it's bad to go to Disneyland because there's lost people. It's okay to have some fun. He's not gonna say having this hobby is bad. What he is gonna say is everything on this earth is temporary. The book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon tries everything that this world has to offer from relationships to knowledge, his fantastic gardens, all this achievement. And what does he come up with? Everything is vanity, and the word in Hebrew is vapor, like your teapot on the stove. Comes up, whoop, it's there, it exists, but only for a second. And that's the way it is with everything on this earth, every single thing, except for the souls of man and the word of God. So if that's so temporary, so fleeting, how should that affect how we live? How could we maybe individually ration ourselves ration our consumption, ration our time, ration our energy so that we can invest more in the kingdom. Now, this is not about comparing yourself to others. We will not put your checkbook and your neighbor's checkbook up on the screen and, oh, let's compare. It's about you talking to God and saying, Lord, what do you want of me? Because yes, we have to live. Yes, we have to take care of our family. Yes, it's okay to have fun. But keep mission, keep eternity in focus. Because you know what? The things that I do in this life will set aside rewards for me in the next. Randy Alcorn changes Jesus' sentence to say this, I can't take it with me, but I can send it on ahead. And you know what? I can invest my life so that when I get there, the God of the universe sitting on the throne of the universe will reach down and say, Todd, well done, good and faithful servant. And he'll hand me a crown. I'd say that would be worth it, would it not? 
Second idea, pray for the world. I know missionaries are supposed to say that, but Paul said that in Ephesians chapter six. Pray for me, ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan. So read the news, but don't get all worried. Read the news and pray. Learn about other cultures, pray for those cultures. Come out to the tables in the foyer. Would everyone in this room please sign up for at least one missionary newsletter? And whenever you get it in email or by print, you read it, and you pray, and you get this intelligence from the battlefront, and you join the battle in prayer. That would be awesome. Broaden your vision. You know, in Hebrews 12 when it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, part of their witness is their life stories. Do you know their life stories? Once again, go over to the branch library, go to the Christian biography section, the Christian history section, look at the mission section. There's some amazing stories in there. And not to say, woo, look at those fantastic Christians. I could never be like that. But to ask, huh, how could a simple person like that do what they did? I'd like to tell you the story of my parents. I don't have time, but they were simple folks. They did amazing things. Give me uh, your email address. I'll send you a little book that I wrote about them in PDF form. But if you want a really in-depth, if you're serious and you're saying the Lord's doing something in my heart and I want to learn more about this, there's a course that's going to start here at Big Valley Church on January 17th. There's a table right behind the stage here. The Perspectives on the World Christian Movement course. I took that course three times. Loved it. And I even took it for undergraduate credit. You can take it for undergrad or graduate credit. It will shape the way you see the Bible, the way you see history, the way you see our mission. Great, great course. Number four, obviously, what about going to the nations. There's hundreds of people groups probably here in Modesto and the environs. What about you, without ever leaving home, loving them, reaching them, touching them? And what about you going? Who will be the next generation of people out of Big Valley who will go around raising missionary support, uh, saying goodbye to family and friends, learning a new language, a new culture, <laughs> so that you can tell people about Jesus, so that you can make disciples and I tell you, church, your prayers will become more passionate. Your giving will be more sacrificial when it's your friend who goes, when you're sending your sons and your daughters abroad. And you know what? Even if you do nothing else, even if after drinking through this fire hose of mission vision, you, you can't remember anything else of what I said, remember this one thing. Keep that big picture in mind. The Great Commission, reach is our mission. When next time you hear reach, don't think, oh yeah, that's great, that's them. Think, oh, that's us, that's me. Kind of silly, but next time you hear about World War II, you're flipping through the History Channel, oh, they got a million programs about World War II. Don't think, ah, Hitler and Normandy. Think the global battle that you're a part of. I'm part of this. I have a different role maybe than this other person, but that's what I'm all about. Let's talk to our Sunday school classes. Let's, uh, when we meet as Bible studies, let's talk about the global need. Talk to your families about that. Let's just prayerfully orient our lives. Let's make hard choices that will make a difference in eternity. Because you know what? It's our job. And it's our job because it's his purpose. It's good news for everyone everywhere, but so many don't yet know. Ultimately, he is worthy and we need to make his name famous. Now, this, might see, this mission might seem like mission impossible, but what did we look at number two up there? Well, on the previous list, it's gonna happen. It's a sure thing. So join the thing that you know is gonna happen. Pay any price to bring it about. Join the rightful king in regaining his kingdom, starting here in your Jerusalem. Church, your mission, should you choose to accept it, yes. is to make disciples as you are going of all nations. Will you? Let's pray together. Lord, amidst all that has gone on this morning, so many things have been talked about. We've sung so many words. We've praised your name. Would you just speak in this moment? What do you want us to do? And how can you help us to see ourselves in this great, grand, glorious commission that you've given us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, give it up for Todd. We do that. Hey, uh, here's, here's the deal. Um, over in the altar room, and, and that includes you over in the venue, over at our altar room over here, our missions pastor, our global missions pastor, Roger Swear, is going to be in there. 
And maybe some of you are going, you know what? I don't know what's happening, but I, I, I think maybe I'm supposed to do something. I think maybe I'm supposed to be the next guy. I'm supposed to go somewhere. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old, by the way. And uh, he, Roger would just like to meet with you. And let us begin to kind of tease out of you maybe what your next step is on, on this journey. And going in there, you know, it's not like if you go in there, we're going to put you on a plane to Zimbabwe tomorrow. I mean, you, you, it, it takes a while to get you prepared to go and, and, and serve the Lord somewhere. But at least we can begin to help. Sort it all out. And what's going on in your life and all of that. And, and so take advantage of it. If you sense that God's doing something in your life and you're going, you know what, maybe I'm supposed to be the next one to go. You know, I think he mentioned that he wasn't even going to be our speaker here this weekend. When we planned this a year ago, it was Phil Arndt. And Phil Arndt was a strapping guy, doing good work for God, working for Partners International. And he died. Just had his funeral up in Washington last week. He's going to have a funeral here this week. I wonder who's going to take his place. Maybe you. Maybe you're supposed to be the one. Maybe it's supposed to be you. Maybe it's supposed to be you. How about you? Somebody's got to take his place. Somebody has to say, man, here I am. Send me, God. I'm willing to go. And so if the Lord has been stirring something in your heart, you know, the reason why we're doing this is so that you all recognize we're all missionaries, man. You drive out on a Tully Road, you drive out on a Pellendale, you're in the mission field. But some of you, I believe, are going to be called to do something maybe even greater. Forsake, you know, this world in a way different way. And so make sure you make your way into the altar room, okay? And we just take five minutes, just get your name, and then he's going to have a meeting with you later on. And it's not like there's a meeting in there. We just want to know who you are so we can invite you to a meeting to start a process in your life. Why don't you stand? Everybody over in the venue, stand. Lord, thank you, God, for uh, this weekend, and I've enjoyed it, God. Thank you for Todd and his message. I'm thankful, God, for all of our global partners, and they're just great people. Thank you for all that they do. And may this be an encouraging moment for them as we go out and say hi to them and pick up some literature and some of the stuff that they have, God. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Get out there and meet some of our missionaries.